Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. On Rosh Hashanah, I shared much about the vision and the writings and the achievements of Theodore Herzl, the founder of political Zionism. Today on Yom Kippur, as we approach this moment of Yisker, I want to offer a different, slightly more human version that gave life to his brief but extraordinary career. The first version, the version I shared last week, is the stuff of Zionist histories and Hebrew school curricula. Herzl, as an assimilated Viennese Jew, was sent to cover the 1894 Dreyfus trial in Paris, and in witnessing the anti-Semitism of the crowds, experienced what we would call an aha moment, the need for a Jewish state to cure the world of its anti-Semitism and rehabilitate the Jew from their exile mentality. Over the next 10 years, Herzl's life would take on a frenetic pace, Congress to Congress, publication to publication, meeting with anyone he could to forward his vision. Perhaps due to the pace he kept, perhaps due to his heartache over the failed Uganda plan, Herzl's sudden and fatal heart attack in 1904 felled this giant of a man at the tender age of 44. The story is a story that's stuff of legend, a tale worthy of Zionism's founding father, heroism wrapped in tragedy, a story that until I sat down with the historian of Herzl, Gil Troy, in Basel last month, I believed to be the whole truth. But what Troy shared with me that he'll share soon enough in his book on Herzl is that there's more to the story, much more. The flurry of activity that characterized Herzl's life and ultimately his legacy was prompted by forces far more heartfelt than merely his prescriptive recommendations for the Jewish people. As Troy explains it, having been trained as a lawyer, Herzl barely lasted a year as a low-level civil servant. He turned to journalism to pay the bills, something he was good at but his head was elsewhere. He was a dreamer. His passion was directed to writing, literary project, and plays, none of which, truth be told, he was very good at, none of which ever caught on. His marriage, which served to stabilize his finances, was loveless and troubled. His wife suffered from mental illness, their children perhaps the only thing that kept them together. His best friend, Heinrich Kana, killed himself in 1891, Herzl's beloved and only sister, Pauline, had died suddenly years earlier. As for Herzl himself, Troy explains, he lived with for years a foreboding awareness of his impending death. He was diagnosed with a heart condition in his 30s. Herzl suffered from chronic heart palpitations. He had already written his will. As he explained in his diary, it is good to be prepared for death and that he always felt the future peering over his shoulder, 
Not only, says Troy, was there nothing sudden or unexpected about Herzl's death, but an appreciation of Herzl's life requires that we consider that the reason Herzl wrote and worked like a man running out of time was that he knew that he was. He was a man who felt the angel of death hovering above him. As Ernest Becker explained in his 1973 book, The Denial of Death, it's the awareness of our inevitable death that serves to prompt us to build character, culture, and legacy. It's not to be sure in either or. The last 75 years of Israel's existence is testimony to the prophetic aspect of Herzl's vision. Troy's point is simply that there was more at hand than just Herzl's political intuitions. Herzl was acutely aware of the finite and indefinite length of his lifetime. His passion and his pathos was prompted by an awareness and his assistance that every second count, leveraging every ounce of life to build something, state of Israel, that would outlast him. When we arrive at Yom Kippur, but really at this moment of Yisker, we are acutely aware of the finite and the indefinite span of all our lifetimes set in the backdrop of an expanse of eternity, the generations who have come before and the generations who will follow. Our High Holiday Prayer Book makes it explicit. We are but a passing shadow, a fading cloud, a vanishing dream, but you, O Lord, are ever-present, enduring forever. In the hands of the romantic, it's the juxtaposition between the passions of the moment and the eternity of the grave that gives life to every great love song and poem. In the hands of the purpose-driven life, religious or not, it's a juxtaposition between our fleeting lives and the length of eternity that sharpens our vision, that focuses our mission, and situates the calling of the day. As Ari Wallach has recently written, this kittle, that white robe that's worn on the holidays, reminds us of our mortal condition. It has no pockets, as if to remind me that there's nothing to take with. We enter this world bare, and we leave it bare. The only question is what we will leave behind for future generations. Which is why, at least in part, I think we come together for Yisker. At Yisker, we're reminded of the fact that we are who we are because of those who came before, those who gave of themselves so that we can be here today. Our deeds, our lives never happen in a vacuum. They also have implications for generations to come. The prayer book teaches us that we are not judged on our merits alone, but also the merits of our ancestors. So too, on the other side of the ledger, merciful as God may be, the sins of one generation are visited on a future one, a not insignificant thought as we consider the responsibilities that one generation has to the next in our ecologically fragile world. Some people are granted length of years. Some are not. Some pass from this world given ample time to prepare. Most do not. But no matter the length of our years, to be a Jew is to understand our lifespans as part of a longer generational tapestry. We're indebted to those who came before. We're obligated to those who will come after. Human as it may be to be biased towards our own lifespan, to care only about our own length of years, 
As Jews, we know that the driver for what we do, our behavior, is what Wallet calls transgenerational empathy, a long-term view that seeks to understand our role and responsibility in the lives of those who will follow us. As the saying goes, a society grows great when old men plant trees under whose shade they will never sit. The tragic tale of Herzl's life is instructive because it exemplifies a possibility that we all know to be true, but rarely acknowledge or actualize. Our time is short, our length of years uncertain. We're descendants of past generations and we're ancestors to future ones. So how shall we use our time? So let us recall our loved ones, fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, those that were granted length of years and those taken far too soon. We love them in life. We mourn for them in their passing. We use this time to reflect on the example of their lives and the memories we hold dear. We identify the trees that they planted in their lifetimes, whose fruit we enjoy today. Perhaps something specific, the family they built, a passion of theirs that we seek to maintain, a commitment that they held close that continues to this day. It might be something a little harder to identify, an aspect of their character, the manner by which they sought to live by. The other day I was speaking to a friend about his late father, and he shared with me that while his life could not be more different than his father's, every day he, stri every day he strives to greet each person with the same warmth, humanity, and kindness that his father did to everyone whom his father met. I cannot think of a better way to use this time of Yisker than to consider the trees planted for us by others whose fruit we enjoy, under whose shade we presently sit. And should you have time and are inclined to do so, I encourage you to think not just about the trees planted long ago, but about the seeds you are planting today. Ask yourself, whether, given the length of years we are all granted, are you living with an empathy for future generations? After all, one day, please God, a long time from now, our names will be spoken at Yisker. The choices we make today will shape whether we ourselves will be remembered as a blessing. Of all of Herzl's diary entries I read this summer, there's one that I hold on to that moved me more than any other, not a political one, but personal. Herzl describes the moment of the Zionist Congress being called to order. He could feel the electricity in the room and the feeling as he was elected the president of the movement that would one day give birth to the state. Notwithstanding the historical significance of the moment, or perhaps precisely because of it, at that moment, the precise moment, Herzl took out five postcards and wrote a note to each of his parents, to his wife, and each of his children. It was at that moment that Herzl chose to express gratitude for those who gave him life. At that moment, Herzl thought about those who would follow him. That's what Yisker is all about. The great sage, the Baal Shem Tov, once explained that life itself is like a postcard, that when one begins to write it, one does so with a large script, believing you have all the room in the world. Soon enough, however, you realize the space is limited and our writing grows smaller and smaller as we try to cram everything in. Yom Kippur reminds us that the postcard, the canvas of our lives, 
is never as large as we would like to think it is. There's always more to be said, there's always more to be done. And yet limited as that postcard may be, ultimately it's meant to be forwarded to someone else. Always, and especially at this time of Yisker, we note that which we have received, as they did in their lifetime. We draft and craft our lives as best we can, from strength to strength, from generation to generation, their memories a blessing, and please God, one day, ours as well. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul.